If you have your Bible, and as I always say, I pray that you do, you know this is the best place to bring your Bible. Nobody, nobody will get upset with you. I can tell you, you might take your Bible into Starbucks or somewhere else, and you might get a might might raise a few feathers on people. But guess what? You can come here, bring your Bible. We'll actually celebrate that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter seven. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dealing with the proverbial frog in my throat this morning. Isaiah chapter 7 and uh, the precious word of God. And I want us to do something and I realize we're a week late in doing it. uh, Just because we had already planned some things uh, as far as messages uh, were were scheduled out on on the service order. But uh, I want us to take the next four Sundays and do a kind of a, uh, an Advent series, if you please. And I realize that uh, this message on the Advent calendar, so to speak, would have fallen last week, uh, but we're going to get right in this morning. And I want us to talk this morning about the hope of Isaiah. And certainly if you understand Advent, you'll understand that this is the first uh, topic when we think about doing an Advent series. And so I want us to consider the hope of Isaiah this morning. <clears throat> And if you have your Bible, look with me. We're going to zero right in. We'll have a word of prayer and get going this morning. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Can I just say something before we get started? Don't allow verses like this to become commonplace. Don't allow them to cause you to fall asleep and say, Well, I've heard that verse. For 60 years, I've heard this verse. So have I. Celebrate this verse. Celebrate what's being said. Look, Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to read your word. God, to pay attention to what you're saying to us. To take it in and to respond to your word. Lord, I pray that in the stillness of this moment that you would supernaturally clear our minds and our hearts of everything except for you and your love for us. That we might be able to focus in on the hope that was not only Isaiah's hope, but the hope of everyone who is called out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray that you be with us during this special time as we look at what you have to say to your church today. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us as a church in this season of uh, really uncertainty, this season that has been unlike any before. But certainly, Lord, we are certain of one thing, that soon and very soon you will break that eastern sky and you will come back for your church. Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word. God, today I pray that you will open up the eyes of our understanding. Lord, if there's somebody in this room, if there's somebody watching online that has never realized their need of a Savior, God, I pray that you would open that way and open their heart today that they might trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you'll meet with us as only you can, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' most precious name and for his sake that we do pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. Well, as I said a few moments ago, it's hard to believe that we are in December, but it is true. And as I look at the calendar, December the 6th, after today, I mean, there are only uh, 18 more uh, days of potential shopping until Christmas. And I know some of you say, I'm not shopping this year. Well, then why do I see Amazon trucks running everywhere? So be sure. I know that you're shopping. Some of you have more Amazon boxes at your house than others. But anyway, uh, a lot of people get panicked when you say, oh, there's only 18 more days. Family's coming. And even though they're trying to cancel Christmas, can I tell you, no one's canceling Christmas. Right? We're still going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I don't care what anybody says. And uh, listen, if I'm in prison, I'm still celebrating Jesus. So let's get off this thing about, well, we're just going to cancel Thanksgiving. 
we're going to cancel Christmas this year. No, you don't cancel Christmas, right? And so uh, people get panicked when they start thinking about shopping. But as my wife knows, when you say that there's only 18 more days of shopping, that tells me that I still have about three weeks before I have to get involved in the shopping, right? I'm, I'm one of those guys that likes to, and she's like smiling, for whatever reason, I'm one of those guys that likes to do my shopping on or about December the 23rd. <laughs> I'm just telling you, there's something magical about that day. I don't know. Uh, 2020 has been unusual, has it not? And um, what's crazy, though, is even though it has been unusual, it seemed like the day after Halloween, I started hearing... Uh, uh, Christmas songs on the radio, I started seeing advertisements, my wife started setting the DVD player for all those Christmas movies on Hallmark, the Up Channel, I mean Lifetime, it seems like a never-ending parade of Christmas movies on TV. It seems like today, even in 2020, the push uh, begins earlier and earlier every year, and what I would suggest to you, though, is running in opposition to our culture's uh, call to consume all things materialistically Christmas runs this simple yet profound season of Advent. And if when I say the season of Advent, some of you may say, well, what's he talking about? Well, the word Advent simply and literally means coming or arrival. And it speaks of the arrival of Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. And so the season of Advent for Christians is a time when you and I can slow down and celebrate the Savior's birth. Certainly, I, years ago, came up with three words that I think about every year when it comes to Christmas. I think about remember, reflect, and rejoice. I remember the love of God in the fact that on that very first Christmas, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I think of the, the idea of reflecting. And last week, we were talking about this idea of of give thanks unto God for why? Because He is good. His mercy endures. So I'm able to reflect on God's goodness, but I'm also able to rejoice in the fact that the greatest gift that has ever been offered to humankind came down, isn't it crazy, in the form of a baby. What an amazing God we serve. John 1 in verse number 1 reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you keep reading on in John's gospel, just to get down to verse number 14, John then says that the Word, and remember the Word speaking of Jesus Christ, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John says that we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And notice what he said Jesus was full of. You know, there's a lot of people full of stuff, and we'll not talk about it because I'm standing behind the sacred desk. But John said when they beheld Jesus' glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Folks, let's never forget this. I don't care if you're in a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, a spotted trout church. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Love and truth. There's a balance there, folks. There's a balance there. So before we get our halos on too tight and run out and condemn everybody, remember that we are recipients of His love and grace. Oh, my friends, what a season. If you look back to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the Bible prophetically reveals that God was going to give the world a sign. And it was threefold. A virgin's going to conceive, a virgin's going to bear a son. And then the verse says that the child's name will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us, strength of God with us in all actuality. And what an incredible book of scripture when you think about Isaiah and I don't know if you've ever done any research from the book of Isaiah or not but man I'll tell you it's such an incredible book of scripture listen connecting the Old Testament and even the New Testament here in the book of Isaiah let me share a few fun facts with you before we move on uh, the book of Isaiah by the way has been dubbed by many as the fifth gospel did you know that that a lot of people have dubbed the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel because it was so full of good news. The book of Isaiah written, as you know, about 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, that fact alone, the fact that 
we just read a verse of Scripture that Isaiah writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that says the Lord Himself is going to give you a sign. And that sign, 700 plus years later. Can you imagine? God reaches down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and gives Isaiah the ability to write the fact that, guess what? Soon and very soon, and we say soon and very soon, and a lot of people say, oh, the pastor's on that soon and very soon thing again. And we still don't see Jesus. Can you imagine living in that time and hearing this prophecy, realizing that you'll never see it, that you'll never be around when Jesus comes, but that didn't stop Isaiah's hope. He shares that uh, Jesus was going to be born. And so you and I, when we look back, we ought to rejoice. We ought to be exceedingly glad. The book of Isaiah also contains some of the most beautiful language ever written in Scripture. In fact, when we read the book of Isaiah and you go to the New Testament, you find over and over that the book of Isaiah is quoted exclusively by Jesus Christ Himself and others all throughout the New Testament. Oh, it's so incredibly beautiful. Another fun fact for you is the book of Isaiah is uh, really referred to as a miniature Bible. has 66 books, uh, but hold on, wait, there's more, as the salesman would say. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah all reference the law and connect back to the Old Testament, while the last 27 point forward to the liberty that you and I now have through Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? Oh, listen, it's exciting when you think about it. Themes abound throughout the book of Isaiah including this fact that God's in control, the Messiah is going to come, and at the end of the day, God has always had a group of people that will remain faithful, a remnant, if you please. And so we find this in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's name means Jehovah saves, which is incredible as well when we think about the connectivity that's there. And Isaiah, who served and ministered for more than 50 years, you know he served for four kingdoms. And he saw a lot of things. He was impacted by the destruction of Israel. When you think about the northern kingdom, when all of its inhabitants were led away into Babylonian captivity, Isaiah was also called to warn uh, the southern kingdom. You know, uh, his, his warning was, hey, listen, guys, you see what just took place in the northern kingdom? If you don't repent, if you don't turn around, that's going to be you. What a fun job that must have been. But through it all, through all the fun facts, through all the things that we could see in the book of Isaiah, do you know that when I read this, Isaiah continues over and over to talk about and offer words of hope all through this entire book. Isaiah dared to believe. He dared to believe that something better was coming, something better was on the horizon, even though the people and the culture of his day, watch this, were corrupt. 2020, we're reading Isaiah 700 years pre-Jesus Christ and the people and the culture of his day were corrupt then and today we're living in 2020 and we wonder why things are waxing worse. I got news for you, people and the culture are corrupt and we need to stand up. We need to stand up, buckle up and shuffle to the door as they say in a Marine Corps running chant. Listen, Jesus is on His throne. We read about Isaiah's hopefulness. In fact, guys, if you put up Isaiah 64.1, we read about His hopefulness in Isaiah 64.1. He says these words, he says, Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and thou would come down. That thou would come down. Isaiah was hoping the Lord would somehow come down and make sense out of all the nonsense. He was hoping that God would come down, bring peace in the midst of no peace. Sound familiar? He was hoping that Isaiah, that Isaiah was hoping that God would come down and dispel the darkness and eradicate the evil that was prevalent in his day. It's like that first song I put out here. Aren't you glad that heaven came down and glory filled your soul? If you're a believer today, heaven came down and glory has filled your soul. Oh, listen, you have reason to celebrate the hope of Isaiah today. Oh, what a savior! Oh, listen, through various passages in the book of Isaiah, we get a glimpse of this hope of Christmas. Please don't, please don't sit back and say, oh, it's just another Christmas message. It's most important message when we think about the totality of Scripture. Listen, Jesus had to be born if Jesus was going to die. 
I shared years ago, and maybe I'll do it, I don't know, I shared a one-man monologue years ago on Christmas Eve, how Jesus, and I talk about the tiny feet and tiny hands and whatnot, all the things that we, we kind of look at a little bit, cool, look at a little baby, look at a little baby. And then I held up a cross and said, but this baby was born to die for the sins of men and women and boys and girls. And so as we consider the Christmas message, as we consider all the hope that it brings, I want to just share with you a couple of things when I look at the hope of Isaiah. And if you look here in chapter 7 again, the first thing I would say is if you're a note taker, uh, Isaiah 7 of God's Word speaks of a sure sign. It speaks of a sure sign. And at this point in time, look with me down in verse number 2, back to verse number 2. At this time, there's an evil king that is reigning. His name is Ahaz. And the reality is after he intentionally disobeys God here in Scripture, the kingdom comes under attack. Surprise, surprise. And in verse number 2, the Bible tells us this. It says that his heart was moved and the heart of his people as the trees of wood are moved with the wind. But here's the thing. Instead of turning toward the Lord at this point, Ahaz says, you know what? I get a better idea. Instead of turning toward the Lord, I'm going to try and work out a deal with our enemies, Assyria. So let's, let's work out a deal with our enemies. And so if you read on, uh, because God is rich in mercy and love, he sends the prophet Isaiah to speak to King Ahaz. And look down with me, look down with me to the end of verse number 9. The end of verse number 9. And notice what Isaiah says. He says, listen, if you will not believe if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. In other words, Isaiah says, hey Ahaz, if you're not willing to stand firm in your faith, I got news for you, you're not going to stand at all. Can I tell you today, believers, church, if you're not willing to stand firm in your faith, the reality is you probably won't stand at all. Pastor Skinner used to say all the time, you either stand for something or you fall for everything. Oh, listen, we better stand up, church. We better wake up. Oh, listen, Isaiah was declaring the hope of the Lord so many years before. Look at verse number 10 and 11. If you look at verse 10 and 11, Ahaz is instructed to ask God for a sign. But if you read verse 12, he refuses to do it. He refuses to do it. So in verse number 13, Isaiah says, Hear now, O Israel, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Boom. He says, listen, it's a small thing for you to weary men, but it's a different thing when you weary God. And then if you look at verse 14, here it comes, the remarkable prophecy in verse 14. He says, therefore, in other words, since you won't do it, king, air quotes, little k, since you won't do it, therefore the Lord himself will do it. Instead of you asking for a sign, the Lord himself's going to give you a sign. And here it is. Look at verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I think about uh, back in Genesis 22 with Abraham. It was the Lord in Genesis 22. In verse number 8, it was the Lord who provided the lamb. Right? Abraham's going to offer Isaac, and he says, don't worry about it. The Lord's going to provide. Oh, listen. Jehovah Jireh provides all the time. Oh, listen. Uh, it was a sign. I think about this sign that the Lord gives in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It wasn't just a sign, folks. Get this. It wasn't just a sign to Ahaz. It was a sign for every one of us. In fact, Everything that we see here being prophesied about, we can go to the New Testament and see the connectivity. We can see the fulfillment of these prophecies. And if you go to Luke chapter 2 and verse number 10, the words of the angel confirm it. And guys, I realize we're having some technical difficulty, but that's why it's so important to look in your own scripture to know this. But in Luke chapter 10, uh, 2 and verse number 10, the Bible, the angel said unto them, Fear not. Watch these words. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to how many people? What kind of people? All people. Not just Ahaz. Oh, by the way, 
and, and hold on to this, hold on to this thought about all people. We're not just talking about Jewish people. We're talking about Gentiles too. You say, well, where do you get that? Do you know that the book of Isaiah has some prophecies about the Gentiles coming to Christ as well? Hello. Jesus came for all people, not just some people. It's so incredibly important that we get in Scripture and know this. Listen, the sign, the sign will be a son born to a virgin. And, and you know, Luke goes on and says, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Think about this. A virgin bearing a son, wrapped in swaddling clothes. First of all, a virgin bearing a son is a pretty incredible thing. Like that happens every day. No, it doesn't happen every day. A virgin bearing a son, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, right? And they're going to call 700 years. They're going to call his name Emmanuel. Not his proper, not, not his uh, uh, straight name, but a name speaking of his attributes. God with us, right? 700 plus years in advance. What a sure sign. It's a miraculous sign that came from God at Christmas time. Oh, listen. Speaks of who he is in Matthew chapter 1. I think about the angel Gabriel. He visits Joseph in a dream. You remember? And Joseph, he's thinking on these things. Finds out that old Mary's pregnant. I guess he's thinking on these things. He falls, because Mary's supposed to be a virgin. And he knows he's not been involved. And so he's thinking on these things, what's going on. And the Bible says he falls asleep. And the angel comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 in a dream. And notice what it says. In verses 22 and 23, it says, Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, watch, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This is a direct reference all the way back to Isaiah 7:14. But I want you to notice one incredible part. Verse 22 again. Now all this was done, pay attention, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken, do you see it, of the Lord. It was spoken of the Lord, it's God's word. It wasn't, the, it wasn't a prophecy of Isaiah, it was the prophecy of God. He was communicating to his children, to the world, through Isaiah, spoken of the Lord by the prophet. So incredibly important. I wonder if Ahaz knew or understood. No, no. Did Ahaz uh, uh, ever see it fulfilled in his lifetime? No, he did not. It was a prophecy pointing towards the future, just like you and I. Watch this. Just like you and I are sitting here waiting for Jesus' triumphant return. That's, by the way, in layman's term, that's referred to as his second advent. He will come again. Oh, and that's what we look forward to. It was a sure sign that God would be with His people. Hold on to that because we're going to look at it later on. His people for all time. Turn, Look over. In fact, you don't even have to turn the page. I don't believe in my Bible. I don't. Isaiah chapter 9. Not only was it a sure sign, but Isaiah 9 speaks of a son who was sent. A son who was sent. Contextually, this is the birth announcement. And by the way, the birth announcement was made in the midst of gloomy times. It was made in the midst of gloomy times. In fact, look at verse number 1 of chapter 9. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be uh, such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Folks, when you look at this verse, for many years, the people of Zebulun and Naphtali, they had, all they knew was grief. They lived in a land of grief. Why? Because they were always the focus of constant, continual attacks. Their enemies always attacked them. But here's a fun fact for you. You want to know why their enemies always attacked the Zebulans and, and the people of Naphtali, the reason they attacked them was because of their sinfulness. That's why they were always being attacked. Folks, that's why we are always attacked. Because we walk in, in our power. We try to walk in our strength. We try and walk in our wisdom instead of the strength and the wisdom and the power of God. Oh, listen. 
And so look, Isaiah speaks about hope in, in chapter 9. He's speaking about a time in the future when the gloom will not turn to doom, but it will turn to gladness. And you look at this. This was a message, the Christmas message was and has always been birthed in grief. You think about back in, even in the New Testament, when the angels come to herald that message in Luke chapter 2, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Do you know what King Herod's getting ready to do? That's right, he's getting ready to kill all the infants, all the infant boys. He's trying to protect his turf, so to speak. The Christmas message has always been, has always been uh, surrounded by grief when you think about it. King Herod's getting ready to kill all the babies. By the way, if you look, even while Mary is rejoicing, you think about Mary celebrating what's going to happen inside of her. If you look in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15, the Bible says that there are going to be all kind of mothers weeping because of, their die, because of their children who are being killed. Listen, the Christmas message has always been birthed in grief. You and I, without Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians, we were sometimes in darkness, but now we are light, so we're to walk as children of light. We're to walk as children of love. It's always been birthed in grief. And so look at verse 2 of chapter 9. Chapter 9 says the people, in verse 2, that walked in darkness. There it is. The grief of darkness. They have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. How incredibly, how incredible is that? In fact, years ago, we did a Christmas musical, and you don't have to turn, but we did a Christmas musical. Some of you remember it. It was called Arise, right? It was called Arise, Your Light Has Come. That's taken exactly from Isaiah chapter 60, and notice what the Bible says, Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord, watch this, the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Oh, listen, what a wonderful message. Isaiah is trying to communicate here in Isaiah chapter 9. Listen, speaking of Jesus, if I go back to John 1, that I shared at the very beginning of the message, if you go to verse 4 of John chapter 1, the Bible tells us that, uh, that in him was life. And that life was the light of men. In John chapter 8 and verse number 12, you remember what Jesus said? He said, I am, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Oh, my friends, interestingly enough, look at verse 4 of chapter 9. Back in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 4. Because what you'll find is that this verse reveals how the enemies of Israel had burdened them with a heavy yoke. Didn't Jesus talk of a heavy yoke in the New Testament? They had burdened them with a heavy yoke at this time. Now, obviously, it's a different yoke that Jesus was speaking of. But when Jesus came, he did not come to burden you or me. He did not come to burden you and me. He came to replace our burdens with a blessing. Just as he said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 30, he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Remember, he told him, learn of me. Oh, my friends, what a message we have from the book of Isaiah. Look at verse number 6. Here's the birth announcement. Here's the birth announcement that we find about a son being sent. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and, the name, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting uh, Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, me, oh, my, don't miss it. Look at the beginning of the verse. It says right here, look at these two words. Thank you guys. I know you guys are working hard back there. Unto us, unto us, a child is born, a son is given. That phrase, unto us, is incredibly important because it means that God sent his son to be born for my benefit and for your benefit. Unto us ought to get us up and dancing. Because if he didn't come unto us, there's a problem. If he didn't come unto us, there's no hope of Isaiah. There's no hope of you. There's no hope of anyone. Isaiah 9, 6. Oh, my friends, don't fall asleep on Christmas because it's a sure sign of a son who was being sent. And I know I say it all the time, 
But sometimes you're just a lack for words. What a Savior. What a Savior. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Look at verse number 6. Notice it says he's a wonderful counselor. He's a profound Savior. It says he's the mighty God. He's, he's a powerful Savior. It says he's the everlasting Father. Do you know when it speaks of a Father, that speaks of a personal Savior. And when it speaks of him being the Prince of Peace, it's telling you and me that our Savior is peaceful. He didn't come to wage war against you. He came to set you free. Oh, now we're waking up. Isaiah only knew about God sending his son. He, only, he didn't only know about it, but he celebrated it. 700 years before it happened. You and I, I dare say, we ain't even ready to celebrate Christ's birth on December the 6th. And that's coming in a few weeks. And you say, well, he wasn't really born on December the 25th, Pastor. I'd like to have a little debate with you and talk to you about the fact that I probably believe he was born maybe March, April, you know. But we can, we can talk about that another time. It doesn't matter. We ought to celebrate the birth of Jesus every day. Oh, we get so caught up in things that really don't even mount to, to a hill of beans, so to speak. We really do. And here I find Isaiah celebrating the son who was being sent. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. You do have to turn your page for that. Look at verse number 1. Because in Isaiah chapter 11, prophetically, here we find, and some of you are going to say, what is he talking about? We find a shoot from a stump. A shoot from a stump. You say, how dare you refer to Jesus as a shoot from a stump? Well, just pay attention and you'll know why I just did that. Look at verse number one. It says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now look back at verse number one. It says, and there shall come forth a rod. That word rod, that word rod means branch. It means twig. It means an offshoot, if you please, of a tree. Now watch. It says, out of the stem of Jesse. The word stem in the Hebrew actually refers to a trunk. And Jesse was the father of who? David. Keep reading. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, the word branch in the Hebrew literally means sprout or shoot. And I didn't think I liked the word sprout, so I chose shoot. I didn't want to refer to Jesus as a sprout. Because he's greater than a sprout. He's a strong branch out of the stem of Jesse. He is a shoot from a stump. In Isaiah's time, things seemed hopeless. Which is why these prophecies should all point us to the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And when we connect the dots generationally, as I said, Jesse is the father of David. We know that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And if you look in Scripture, just a couple of pinpoints in Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story, in verse number 4, the Bible says, And Joseph went up from Galilee out of Nazareth, uh, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David... There it is, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. And when you go to the book of the Revelation, all the way at the back of the Bible, you find in Revelation 5.5 that God's word refers to Jesus as the lion out of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. I'm so thankful that that, that shoots, so to speak, from the stump. When he comes back, he's coming as a lion. Man, can you imagine the roar that he's going to put out? There could be no tim timidity when Jesus comes back. Oh, listen, today we rejoice because of Jesus. We rejoice because He came forth the very first time. But now we anticipate, we celebrate the hope of eternal life and His second coming. Look at verse, 11, uh, verse 6, back in chapter 11. Look at verse number 6. Drop down. The Bible says that the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child should lead them. Oh yes, folks, when Jesus comes again, he's coming as a conquering king. Sometimes I think we get carried away with counting, and I started with it, we get carried away with counting shopping days left till Christmas. You know what we ought to be counting? 
is the seconds, the minutes, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, the years, whatever it may be until Jesus comes back. Until he breaks that eastern sky. What a day. Can you imagine? I can't even begin to fathom it. Oh, maybe morning, it may be noon, it may be evening, but I know it's going to be soon. Amen. What a day, what a day that's going to be. Uh, Jesus declared in Mark chapter 13 and verse number 26, he declared that the Son of Man is going to be coming out of the clouds. And when he comes out, he's going to come out with great power and glory. He's not coming out of those clouds like, are you all ready for me? No, he's coming back. Oh, he won't be late. He won't be early. He'll be right on time, like always. I wonder if you're ready to meet him. I pray you are. Isaiah speaks of a sure sign, a son being sent. And this stump, this shoot, so to speak, or a sprout out of a stump, the stem of Jesse. But if you look with me at Isaiah 53, and we'll close it up. How, 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 how the wisdom of God Speaking through Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 3, he speaks of this hope as a suffering Savior. And I don't know about you, but it ought to do something to your heart when you think about Jesus not only as a Savior, but as a suffering Savior. That he suffered, he bled, and he died for me. He did that for you. He did that for the likes of all people. Notice, notice what the Bible says here in Isaiah chapter uh, 53, but I, I, I think before we even get there, when you think about it, the angel explained this to Joseph. And guys, I know I, I, I want to show this verse from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. He actually explained this to Joseph. Remember, he's talking to Joseph and he says, hey, listen, he says, he says don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He said, because she's going to bring forth a son. And by the way, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save people from their sins. Well, can you imagine Joseph thinking, what are you talking about? And how is this son that is being born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, being born of my wife, how is he going to save people from their sins? What's crazy to me is that as the angel is telling that to Joseph, 700 years prior, right? There have been 400 years of, of silence between Malachi and Matthew, just to, uh, just to put it into perspective. But 700 years before, God already told Isaiah how he was going to save his people. That is the hope of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 53 in verse number 3. Verse number 3 and following. The Bible says here, he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Look at verse number 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Oh man, you think about a, about a Black Friday shopping spree. I think about what Jesus did back on the very first Black Friday. He purchased something far greater than you could purchase at Walmart. He purchased the forgiveness of sin for, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And, and just, by the way, if you have Isaiah 53, just keep looking with me because I want you to see something. Look what it says about you and me in verse number 6. All we, that's me and you, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what God says. God says, listen, I'm going to take my wrath and I'm going to lay it on my son. The wrath that the people deserve, I'm going to give to my son, Jesus, so that, I, so that he can buy them back to the fellowship and relationship that I desire. So watch what he says here in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is bought brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as the sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. You remember when Jesus, that, that, that a crooked trial, he opened not his mouth. If you go to 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we were referencing that the other night, 1 Peter chapter 2 in verses 21, 22, 23, and 24, you'll find that when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not. 
When they talked bad about him, in other words, he didn't say a word. When they treated him bad, he didn't treat them bad. But notice what Isaiah goes on. It says, he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb of the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Verse number 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God said, I love you so much that I'm going to bruise my own son. I'm going to crucify my own son. Watch it. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Serving and ministering for seven, or, or not four, but for more than 50 years, seven centuries. Think about that. Seven centuries before Jesus was born. God gives us a picture of a sure sign, a sent son, a shoot out of a stump, and a suffering Savior that you and I today, on December the 6th, 2020, might celebrate the same hope of Isaiah. How incredible is our God? And you know, I was reading a commentary this week and someone said that uh, all these passages kind of suggest that Isaiah must have seen Jesus at some point. And with perplexity, I did what some of you are doing. Hmm, how is that possible? I think John chapter 12 and verse number 41 gives us a clue. Now, just something to think about. Just a little fun fact to think about. It says, these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory. His is a reference to Jesus. When he saw his glory and spake of him. Now, do I have uh, all proof that I need to have to say that he definitely saw him? I don't know, but I know this. He saw his glory. He saw His glory. Oh, I pray that you see His glory as well. Friends, Jesus didn't come to simply be born into this world. He came to be born unto us for our benefit. And these prophecies and promises of hope shared by Isaiah are like a big old huge Christmas present. I know y'all like presents. But you know what I know about presents? I know what you like most about presents is not sitting there and putting it under the tree and making it look nice. Just like a little child. And I won't do that because somebody took the great care to put this present together. Do you know it's like a huge Christmas present? But what I know about Christmas presents is they must be opened and they must be received. The hope of Isaiah can only be your hope, can only be my hope, if like this present, you open it and you receive it. Oh, you can look at it and say, oh, isn't that a pretty gift? They should have put a bow on that. You can talk about the gift. You can look at it. You can even say it's a pretty gift. But until you open it, until you receive it, the gift is of none effect for you. Look with me and I close. Isaiah chapter 65. You see, because I mentioned earlier all people. And I wanted to show you some of the prophecies that remind you that the sign wasn't just for Ahaz. The sign wasn't just for the Jews. The stump out of the stem isn't just a reference to his genealogy for the Jewish people. Right? And the suffering Savior was not just suffering and become the Savior for Jews alone. But look in Isaiah chapter 65. In verse number 1, the Bible says, I am sought of them. 
Gentiles. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all day unto a rebellious people. Who were the rebellious people at the time? The Jews, Israel, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own, and some of your versions may say imaginations or their own thoughts. And so you see that even back 700 years prior, you say, well, I'm not of Jewish descent. Well, congratulations, God loves you too. And he prepared and planned and promised. His, his, he promised that a Savior would come for you as well as for his children of Israel. And I think about Romans chapter 10 and verse number 12. The Bible says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon Him. And if you know verse number 13, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There was a story of a woman who was in the mall doing her Christmas shopping, and uh, she, had, uh, she was stressed out, quite honestly. She was stressed out, scurrying about finding the perfect gift for everybody on her list. And knowing that money was tight, uh, she had done her best to, to try and, you know, make it through the season. And she just couldn't wait for Christmas to be over. With her arms full of gifts, she tried to get into a crowded elevator. Uh, and when I heard this story, I immediately thought about that elevator, Krista, that you and I used to go down, up and down over at Fair Oaks Mall years ago when we lived over in that area. She tried to get into this crowded elevator and she squeezed in with many other weary shoppers and she exclaimed, whoever came up with Christmas should be strung up and killed. Several of the people around her nodded in agreement until one still voice in the back of the elevator said, don't worry. They already did that to him. My friends, the hope of Isaiah is not something that you and I can go and purchase and put under a tree. The hope of Isaiah literally died on a tree. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I want to encourage you, don't become a victim of that annual Christmas trap. <laughs> it's an annual Christmas trap. It rears its ugly head every year. It's called shop till you drop. Don't fall victim to that trap. You know, I've, and, and I don't say this, this is the truth and my wife knows it. She asks, what do you want for Christmas? You know, the older I get, the less I want or need. And the older I get, I also realize the things that I desired and wanted were probably frivolous anyway from years ago, right? With Jesus, and this isn't just a, a saying, I've got all I need. He's given me forgiveness, salvation. I'm headed for heaven. I can't even help it. Try as I may. But you know what? He's given me a wonderful wife, given me a family, extended family members, some that work your nerves. Y'all have them too. <laughs> okay, Linda. <laughs> some of them work your nerves. But what a good God we serve. The hope of Isaiah. Oh, my friends, I pray that you'll take time to consider and celebrate the hope of the very Advent season that we find ourselves in, looking forward to that second Advent when Jesus comes back. Oh, like Isaiah, the Apostle Paul, he reminded that church of Thessalonica about the good hope that they had through Jesus Christ. When he wrote to that church and 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, it wasn't the end of the chapter, although it seems like he's wrapping things up. He writes these words in verses 16 and 17. He says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, watch what he says, which has loved us, there's a good one, 
has given us an everlasting uh, consolation and a good hope through grace. And then in verse 17, he says, comfort your hearts. Oh, isn't it a comfort to know that God has loved you? He has given you an everlasting consolation. He's given you a good hope if you know Jesus. And then Paul says, comfort yourselves, comfort your hearts, establish, establish you in every good work. Oh, listen, if you're here and you've never realized that hope of heaven that came down oh so long ago, I pray that today that you'll call out upon the name of the Lord, that you'll say, Lord, I feel a little hopeless right now, but I believe through the authority of Scripture that you did exactly what Scripture said you were going to do. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life today. Whether you're here, whether you're watching and worshiping online, I pray that you'll do that. And if you're here and you already know Jesus, may you recommit yourself to celebrating the hope that Isaiah knew about and declared oh so long ago. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the hope of Isaiah. God, we thank you for the time that we've had to worship you today, to sing songs of praise to you today, to pray to you, to lift up our petitions before your throne of grace and mercy. And certainly we mentioned just a few of the prayer requests that we have here as a church family. Lord, I pray above all that you have been honored, you have been glorified by your word today. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching that has never realized the hope of Christmas, that today might be that day that they would call out and ask you to forgive them and to come into their life. Lord, I pray for those who are here today, those who may be struggling, those who are, are, are Christians, but maybe simply have lost sight of the hope that we can see through your word at Christmas. God, I pray that you'll renew that, that excitement, that celebration of hope. I pray that you'll do that. God, will be careful to give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.